Hello and welcome. Thanks for being here. This is Better Than Yesterday, here to make it better every episode since 2013, learning something new through a conversation with someone who's been through it before. Um, my name is Osher Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a Halloween lollies hand and I'm glad you're here. I'm here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. There's over 500 interviews to get through, uh, over 200 chats here on a Friday. There's lots to get in, so enjoy the back catalogue. It's all there for you. I've got happy voice on because I'm about to talk about some serious shit. This conversation that we're going to have today does involve uh, domestic violence and doesn't involve suicidality. If you don't feel like that, that's okay. You can push on and find another episode. It has been a huge and somewhat horrible week in the world. I don't have to tell you that. What's happening in the Middle East is nothing short of abhorrent. Here in Australia, it is Movember, by the way, it is the 3rd of Movember. Here in Australia, there was a moment which truly shook uh, Sydney to its foundations. A PE teacher, a female PE teacher in her early 20s, was murdered by a man that she worked with and had been in a short-term relationship with. And a few days after she had tried to break it off, he found her alone at work and murdered her. It is absolutely horrific on so many, so many levels. The best idea this young man had was to murder this woman. That is a terrible fucking idea. And that was the best movie he had at the time, to murder someone. It's absolutely ghastly in no way at all. Am I here to minimise the horrific crime this man committed? The life he took, the trauma he's inflicted upon the woman's family and the entire school community. I know people that go to that high school. They had to go to school after the cops had cleaned things up. Like, fucking horrible. This man is not alone in these kind of actions. Violence against women in our country of Australia is unfortunately far too common. Just the other day, at a place called Dapto, which is near Wollongong. There was a bloke at a kid's playground and he punched a woman so hard in her face, not only did he knock her out, but she's since lost sight in one eye. It was a your kid did this to my kid kind of situation. I've been in those situations at a playground. They can get heated. There's no denying it. The best idea this man had was to punch a stranger so hard in the face she's now blind in one eye. This is a 27-year-old man, and it appears that the best idea he had to deal with that kind of tense interaction was violence. Behind these awful incidents, these truly awful, and unfortunately, tragically far too common incidents here in Australia, behind these things... I guess you can really see the enormous amount of work that needs to be done in Australia around consent. In a few weeks from now, on a Monday, Chanel Contos is lined up to be a guest here on the show. She's written a brand new book. We recorded the interview the other day. Uh, We're still editing it up, but I wanted to play a bit of it for you today. Chanel is a fierce advocate for consent education in Australia. She's the brilliant person behind the Teach Us Consent campaign. She's been truly instrumental in raising awareness about sexual assault and consent in Australia, mainly uh, teen-on-teen sexual assault. Now, in that conversation, Chanel speaks about 
it's this really powerful thing. She starts talking about how when entitlement outweighs empathy, that's when things go horribly wrong. Have a think about that. When someone's entitlement outweighs their empathy for another human, that's when things go bad, horribly wrong. So I'd like to play you just a little bit of this conversation. The whole conversation is coming in a couple of weeks. Like I said, we're, we're still chopping it up, but there's a part of it that's along the lines of what I wanted to speak about today. Because Chanel and I started to talk about how vitally important it is to model behavior and teach kids from when they're really little. It's one thing to sit down and have a consent conversation at high school or whatever, but this sort of stuff has to start when they're super young. And when moments like this occur, when we read about violence like this or hear about it, like you're hearing right now, we explore our own empathy towards the victim through the relationship to our own kids. Like when I heard about this, the murder victim was a few years away from George's age, my stepdaughter. Uh, George was also a very sporty person. And so when I thought about this happening to this woman, who's of similar age to my stepdaughter, who I adore, I've known for nearly 10 years now, uh, my heart froze. It's barely beating now as I think about a man in her life doing this to her. I, I, I can't bear to consider it for too long. But that is pretty much where we stop when we think about these things. A couple of years back, Clementine Ford wrote a fantastic book, Boys Will Be Boys. I found it fascinating because she'd just given birth to a son. And the angle of the book was, how do I stop my son from growing up and becoming a perpetrator of violence, sexual violence? And it's a very important question. We'll pick up the conversation that you'll hear in a couple of weeks at around this point. I'm talking to Chanel about... The idea that we rarely explore when it comes to speaking about gendered violence or sexual violence. We talk a lot about the victim and rightly so. Though, you know, in the same way that Clementine wrote a book, essentially with her son in mind, it's something I think about a lot. And something I think about a lot when I'm, I don't know, down the park and I see other kids around Wolfie's age running about and I'll start doing some maths in my head. I mean, they're difficult conversations to have mm. because you don't want to imagine that your child would ever be assaulted and you certainly don't want to imagine that your child would ever assault someone, mm. you know. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I, I say this quite a bit, but I, my, our youngest is four, you know, and if I am down the park with him and I look at the playground and there's, I don't know, 30 kids, young boys his age, I'm like, 20 years from now, it's going to be one of you. Yeah, more than one. And it's <laughs> fucking horrible because no parent wants their little beautiful son to grow up and be that. I think know? that's part of the problem around this. I think that a lot of people with daughters very much fear that their daughter will become a statistic in this, but don't fear their son being one. And it, it's illogical because you can do so much to prevent your son from ever perpetrating violence on another but you can only hope that 
the boys that your daughter is hanging out with, that their parents have done that sort of thing. So it should actually be a much more focus on how we're kind of having these conversations with boys and socialising them. Something that I find really interesting in this is in Australia, if you are a woman, you are more likely to be sexually assaulted or raped than you are to smoke cigarettes. And that is because of, you know, large-scale public education around the health risks of cigarettes. Yeah. Taxes, resource allocation, it is because of every time you leave the house and you go to a party, don't smoke, don't drink, you know, don't do drugs, whatever. Like, that's where you get yelled out the door when you're 15 walking out. Are you walking out the door yelling, make sure you check for consent? You know, like, it's, I think a lot of parents will probably be more worried that their kids are smoking cigs than thinking about sexual violence. And it's, yeah, it's really scary. I don't think it should be difficult to talk about not wanting the young men in our community to go on to perpetrate. Mm. I think it's important that we do talk about that. Um, it, it, as you mentioned, yet it is we do focus a lot on trying to prevent people becoming victims. Mm. But a, that young man is going to destroy his life just as much, you know? Well, yeah, and I think the thing is, is tangibly this idea of, like, destroying someone's life. Like, does sexually assaulting someone guarantee that you will lose your job, end up in prison, like, have any sort of accountability? Definitely not. No. Which is a problem. But... So a large part of my book is actually about this idea of kind of mainly teenage boys or young adults who perpetrate sexual violence out of ignorance, entitlement, and a lack of awareness about or a lack of care for consent rather than any sort of like intent or malice. And I feel deeply for these boys who do these things because they often grow up and realise what they've done is wrong and regret it and feel very like a lot of shame and guilt around the act. And preventing that is just as important. Like it is just as much as an injustice on the boys in our community as the girls that our education system in the broadest sense of public education, parental education, teacher education, school system, that the main demographic in Australia of perpetrators of rape is a 15 to 19-year-old male. Oh, my God. Which, again, talks about how early we need to be having these conversations. And it's not that, like, the it's like the conversation around stranger danger mm. is complete bullshit. Absolute bullshit. It's... It is a family member mm. who will generally be, if it's an adult and quite small child. Well, yeah, that's in terms of yeah, childhood sexual abuse yeah, yeah. for sure. But I also think in terms of something I didn't actually realise until I actually launched the campaign is this type of sexual violence that I talk about so specifically, this kind of like teen on teen perpetrated right. out of, you know, lack of education, ignorance, blah, blah, blah. That is child sexual abuse being perpetrated by another child. And I don't think we kind of grapple with what that actually means when we're looking at this from a bigger picture and what that also means for accountability and stuff like that. Like, I don't think the criminal system is any place for children, regardless of crime. So how are we going to mesh those things together and mm. figure out a way of moving forward when, one, it's so preventable, and two, it's such a kind of complex, intricate issue that I think needs to be seen as different to child sexual abuse perpetrated by adults yeah. and, you know, adult on adult sexual assault. Oh, again, I was just trying to, I guess, draw a, 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 an analogue to that we're looking in the wrong place. Yes, essentially, Because we, you know, we, we, oh, you know, I've got to go and pick up my kid from school because they might get snatched. No. No, they fucking won't. Yeah. It, they, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's somebody they already know if it's going to, like, but that's the thing. The focus was always on that. You you mentioned three things that I'm kind of fascinated by mm. uh, as the reasons why young men uh, 
find themselves in this situation. And I'd love if we could unpack them a little bit. Talk to me about the ignorance part. How, how, what are conversations we could have with the young guys in our lives uh, uh, that could alleviate that? Well, I think the thing is exactly what you're saying. We have these very strict stereotypes of what sexual assault looks like and what we think it's going to be. It's the, you know, it's the scary man in the alleyway when you're walking home at night. We don't realise that it's, you know, much more likely a guy you have a crush on and who you're, you know, consensually kissing at the beginning of the night but don't want to be doing anything else with at the end of the night. And those stereotypes, I think, allow young people to perpetrate acts of sexual violence without being conscious of it. And those acts don't just like come out of nowhere. They're not just, you know, exhibited. There's attitudes and expectations around boys and girls and the way they should experience life and do life that sets up very robust structures for those more insidious acts of sexual harassment and sexual assault to then occur. You know, it starts with a sexist joke. It starts with misogynistic attitudes. It leads to groping. It leads to flashing in the street. It leads to image-based abuse. And then it leads to rape. And the normalisation of those kind of like lower levels that are seen as, you know, less explicit or less insidious forms of sexual violence allow those higher ones to occur and allow them to be classified as normal. And I think that's where the ignorance comes in. So, you know, for example, when I got my consent talk when I was 15 years old, the things that kind of like blew my mind were finding out that one, um, oral sex encounters rape. Two, someone that you know or like like or love, like, you know, your boyfriend can be the perpetrator of sexual violence and just because you're dating someone doesn't mean that consent is automatic. And three, that intoxication makes consent void. And also, finally, that consent was needed in a sexual act for it to not count as a form of sexual assault or sexual violence. And I think the ignorance of that means that the weight of a lot of young boys' actions isn't often completely understood. I think that's a serious tragedy because, again, that's what I mean. People grow up, learn, reflect, and then have to sit in that shame or guilt if they feel like it. <laughs> Not that all do, but yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is really quite difficult. Um, I mean, I don't think you have any reason to believe it isn't, but I, I remember being a young guy. I'm one of four boys, one of four brothers. I went to an all-boys school. The only woman that wasn't my mum was my accounting teacher and one music teacher. I only knew this world. I only knew that, you know, to be punched really hard in the arm is a way of saying hello. I fucking hated that, but that's what <laughs> it was. I didn't feel in place at all, but I, to fit in that stuff you know, behaviours like that start to show up so you can be f to fit in, in in that kind of, you know, we talk about peer pressure, but I don't think that's really it. It's not about, you know, doing nangs at the park as a peer pressure. It's like... <laughs> it's, it's like the cultural norms. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's it. And how that sort of stuff can start, and boy, it starts early. Oh, my God, it starts unbelievably early. It starts from before we're even conscious of it. I mean, there's studies showing that... If you dress newborn babies in like pink or blue, the way that parents who don't know the babies or strangers interact with them is like wildly different depending on if they assume they're a boy or they're a girl. So those kind of like cultural contexts are set before we can even like fathom that they're being set. Right. If you're the parent of a young man, how do you how do you how do you talk to them about if you start to see their let's just say their standards slipping from what it is you raise them to be? It's often not surprising when, you know, you hear an allegation or, you know, someone tells you something or discloses something. 
it's often not surprising where that like that that came from there so it's like well what were all the signs that made it not surprising to us and how could we have stopped them at that point and like changed the culture and I think if you're a parent of a young boy looking at that is really important so I mean you know the mantra boys will be boys is you know here there and everywhere and it's such an excuse for kind of whether it's destructive behavior or like punching each other in the arm like that's the most classic like boys will be boys like why are you guys punching each other in the arm I don't know because they want to do it like whatever it's not necessarily like maybe overtly harming anyone as such but it's also not the most you know appropriate way to greet someone so thinking about how those kind of like small actions can be held to account and also how you can take every opportunity you get to have this sort of conversation. So, you know, maybe you're watching a movie and there's a sex scene that comes up. You know, everyone's been there when a sex scene's up with your parents and you're mortified and embarrassed and you just, like, pretend not to look, blah, blah, blah. Does the sex scene scene show consent? Almost definitely not. Take that opportunity to be like, "Mm, this is not real because you should always do this. That is Chanel Contos. She's an amazing human being. The full interview is out in about two weeks. Um, She's absolutely brilliant and... Look, rather than wait, you know, a few more weeks to, to have the interview, I, I thought it was important to just hear that part then. I hope you got something out of it because it's fucking ghastly. It's horrible. But what can you and I do? It, it seems like with everything, there's like way too much to even start doing anything. But I guess for me, it's educating ourselves. It's educating our kids. It's modelling behaviour and attitudes towards other people that leads with empathy. And look, it might not stop a person we don't know from attacking a person we don't know, but it will hopefully put a, a bit more energy into the community that is not that. And slowly over time, that might change things. That's... It's also a better way to go through life in my books is to kind of lead with empathy, I guess. I'm sorry it was a heavy one. I just thought it was important to put that out today. Of course, the, the freaking ghastly tragedy of all of it is just too much to bear, isn't it? I can't think about it for too long. God damn. She was not too much older than Georgia. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. On a completely different note, on Monday, uh, we're going to speak with Belinda Chapel. Yeah, from Bardot. That's an interesting one, that is for sure. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks to the people that helped me make the podcast, Andy Ma on post-production, Abby Benno, who produced the episode, Toa Hyder, who made the music, and the business team, Ben and Monica at the office. Thank you so much. If you need me, send us your email at gmail.com. Also on Instagram, uh, there's, it's OG better than yesterday. And you can DM me there. I'll see you Monday. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. 
So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.